It's a good thing to keep in mind how powerful language is. The language that we use actually affects the way that we think. So a common well-known one is that, you know, in Mandarin it's very easy to count and in English it's a bit harder because we have words like 11 and 12. So in terms of like other effects from a new linguistic system or new ways of using language, this is kind of the stuff that we can't see is like we're coding in a lot of meaning about our tone in this new linguistic system, but what are we leaving out? From co-opting this new way of talking to each other, what are we missing? What are we not thinking about in our heads anymore? And what are we therefore thinking about less? And how will that impact the way that our brains work? And how will that impact the decisions we make just because we're using this new way of talking to each other? listening to things of interest. I'm Serena Chen. And I'm Sophia Frentz. Today, Tumble Linguistics. Yes. It's the kind of language that's used on places like Tumblr that's often criticized by outsiders as incorrect and things that teen girls say. They lament that English language is being destroyed. Young people are getting more stupid. Saying the word like too much will definitely cause the end to modern civilization. But here's the thing, language is not static, it's ever evolving. And unless you'd rather be saying mine eyes or maketh a man, you've got women, specifically young women to thank for linguistic innovations like mind, has, does, makes. And with the rise of the internet, we've had to be even more innovative with our language. Communication within a text-only medium is hard. How do you indicate sarcasm? How do you indicate informality? Emotion? How do you show when you've lost all of the ability to even? The founder of modern sociolinguistics, William Lebov, saw that women led 90% of all linguistic change. So it's not stupidity you're seeing from young women. We're not taking a dump on the holy throne of English grammar. We're improving it. And we've seen similar discrimination towards African-American vernacular English as well. People often consider it to be unprofessional, but if you take a closer look, you'll see that it's governed by rules just as complex and systematic as, say, standard American English. When it comes to Tumblr linguistics, there's a lot we could talk about, but I want to start with memes, because Tumblr is widely considered to be on the top of the meme trickle-down economy. And Sophia here is a geneticist, and I think she'll have some really interesting perspectives on memes. So, firstly, if you're not entirely sure what a meme is, or you've always pronounced it meme and you're a little bit lost (laughs) as to where we are right now, a short history of memes. So essentially a meme is like a cultural idea that's passed on, that replicates, that moves forward. And so really it can be anything. The term was originally invented by... Richard Dawkins, and he sort of still claims some ownership to it. Uh, We may know Richard Dawkins as the man who hates small boys that build clocks, or the man who complained bitterly about the terrorists winning when he had to throw out some honey a few years ago. Uh, He's broadly not fun. 
but he did write a particular book called The Selfish Gene in which he discussed the idea of a cultural equivalent to genes, a cultural unit of inheritance, and that's memes. And so in Dawkins' like, first idea and ideation of it, he would saw things like memes, like the way you make bread in the mornings or the way you get married. But memes have changed a lot with the internet, and they've particularly changed with Tumblr, and have really caught with this language quite nicely. To be just an idea that really takes off, that replicates, that everyone starts using and it's absolutely fascinating it's particularly fun for me because um my research is on mitochondria and if you go to knowyourmeme.com the powerhouse for the history of all memes um you'll find that mitochondria are a meme and they sort of had their heyday a few years ago so i'm obviously behind the times uh i think memes are just kind of fun like the fact that everyone kind of latches on to an idea and it goes so far i find absolutely fascinating and tumblr in particular has become very self-aware about this i think uh one of the last memes of 20 2015 or 2014 2015 i'm pretty sure was what's going to be the last meme of 2015 yeah which was beautiful and so you have times where memes have a lifespan of like a few hours but they might have lifespan of really long time and then come back remixed so one of the really excellent memes i say really excellent i like low-key hate the zodiac memes i think they're ridiculous (laughs) uh unless they're like uh the zodiac memes just keep coming back the zodiac meme will not die and the zodiac meme is just like a list of People's zodiac symbols being like, ah, Leo, you're a chair, whereas a Sagittarius is clearly a table. Um, Obviously. Really buying into the fact that horoscopes are kind of bullshit and just like taking that to its logical, like logical, illogical extreme, which is amazing. Like, it's so fascinating. What do you think, Serena? About memes? Yeah. (laughs) They're hilarious in that, like, um, it's kind of like this cultural absurdism or dataism it's so out there and i'll like see something pop up on my tumblr dash and i'll be like i have no idea what the hell this is talking about um and it's it's weird and it's strange and then i'll see another thing pop up and if it's strange and weird in the same way if it doesn't make sense in the same way i'll be like oh it's a new meme i get it now (laughs) (laughs) yeah the uh the crave that mineral was one that took me a while to get, I think. Um, but eventually we got there. Uh, so, like, you can you can talk to people from Tumblr. And, like, Tumblr is constantly developing, being innovative with memes. Yeah. Um, and some of those occasionally will make it to Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest sometimes. Oh, it's, it's which so I find weird. very weird. <laughs> It's so weird when you're like on Facebook and you see a screenshot of Tumblr inside a screenshot of a tweet inside like a Facebook post and you're just like, I am looking, I am seeing through space and time right now of the meme dimension and it is tripping me out. Yeah, I think like Tumblr sort of like has this position of not, I wouldn't say like complete dominance. I think there is uh, power for mm. innovation on like a lot of other formats, and we often see this on Twitter as well. Mm. Um, but Tumblr definitely has that position because, like, to an extent, you're anonymous, so you can say really dumb shit, and no one's going to judge you and be like, "Your mum isn't going to be like, are, are you okay, honey?" You, <laughs> no, and shit posting is an art, really. Yeah. Oh god, and the difference between <laughs> we're just 
get very excited in this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've read some really interesting stuff about the difference between shitposting and night blogging. Yeah. Um, shitposting being sort of like you when maybe you're high or maybe you're just talking shit for whatever reason and you're like, this thing that is obviously me talking shit. Whereas mm. night blogging is like, um, I think the more common vernacular would be shower thoughts. Yeah. So if you're like, yeah, like, what if, what if trees can actually think? Oh, the, the Chad, wake up. Why do we think that Wally is a guy? <laughs> wake up, Chad. He's sexless. <laughs> so, um, Serena's just referenced another meme on Tumblr <laughs> that is the wake up Chad meme, uh, where someone who is like genuinely assumed to be a woman is trying mm. to wake up her boyfriend, Chad, and ask, like, these really complex questions. <laughs> or, like, questions that provide something of a uh, commentary on society. So, like, describing mm. Wally's gender. Like, Wally is never gendered, and neither, I think, is Eve. No. But we gender <laughs> them very readily. Mm. And that's really weird. And I, I actually really enjoyed the Wake Up Chad meme. I always reblog it when it comes back through my dash. Yeah. Uh, it's a... It's a complex commentary on society while being absurdist and hilarious and funny. Oh, definitely. Like, absurdism and pop culture are the two sort of mainstays on Tumblr. Uh, And then you get, like, a lot of nuance within those and a lot of really interesting discourse. Um, Something Mm -hmm. I've actually found quite recently is I would never have referred to the word discourse as being a necessarily mainstream word to use. No. Like, I wouldn't say... Oh, yeah, you know, talk to the kids today, have some sweet discourse. (laughs) Uh, Tumblr has changed that. So Mm. over the past couple of months, uh, discourse has been used increasingly on Tumblr and just, like, the very chill text posts that people post. So not memes, but, like, you can also talk about your life on Tumblr. Um, Mm. And discourse has just become such a common word to be used to the extent where a friend referred to uh, how he used to run a... um, Sherlock discourse blog back in 2012 and it's like I would never have called it that but it is that like it's a point where you sort of have meaningful discussion about your um your fandom for want of better terms it's really interesting and I think like memes are both born of and help develop the way that language online is changing what I find really interesting also is how memes spread Sometimes not because they're necessarily funny or they necessarily have, like, really deep social commentary, but just sometimes because they're relatable. And it's expressed through things like imperfect grammar, using abbreviations or text language, um, typos, excessive uses of, like, punctuation. And that kind of stuff makes it makes it a new language that's only embedded in a text-only medium. Like, I can't... Uh, my flatmate Sarah and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, how do I end a sentence with, like, ten question marks? Because sometimes I need to do that. Sometimes I want to say something and I want to communicate how incredulous I am. And usually I do that, you know, on Tumblr or on Twitter. I just put a lot of question marks at the end of the sentence, but I can't do that in real life. I can't do that with speech. So these are like text-only language artifacts that have been appearing throughout Tumblr and throughout the internet. And really cool. I mean, like, 
to an extent, you could use the uh, home improvement uh, confused grunt noise, which I'm not going to do, uh, <laughs> for like 10 question marks. But no, I definitely get what you're saying. Um, mm. I think it's very interesting, particularly like to describe very text-based jokes to people who don't have a window into that like culture. Because like, there is a culture to existing on tumblr right like definitely so i i have a group chat with a few friends from tumblr and when someone makes a typo everyone else will copy the typo Mm. and just like use it for the next day more than um and often the person who made the typo will be like this isn't funny why are you doing this what is happening (laughs) um but it will have like that kind of like humor to it that you can't really explain using mouth words right like In meat um, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, there's... I find it quite interesting, n- as well, now that I'm learning um, Auslan, so Australian Sign Language, mm. in that non-verbal communication is often much more nuanced than verbal communication. And, like, one of my um, teachers... So all the teachers that teach us Auslan are all deaf. So when I say he was saying, I mean he, he was signing to me. Um, but that I keep forgetting to say that. I always, whenever I'm signing as well, I'll be like, oh yeah, we should like have a chat and use like a sign for talking, which like is often, um, connected with like mouth words. And then I'll be like, yeah, we should have a sign. I, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, but yeah, so my teacher was like sort of talking about this and about the importance of facial expressions in Auslan and sort of said like, People who use their their mouth words, their voices, they're often very lazy with facial expressions and clarity to an extent because tone can do that for them. But it also means that there's a notable communication barrier, whereas like deaf people are often very open with each other and will just sort of say shit because like they're so used to having to put everything of themselves into communicating ideas through facial expressions, through like the emphasis of their hands, through their body language. Um, And so like deaf people will be very forthright and blunt and very excited about things, like very visibly excited where someone who doesn't speak a sign language would sort of just like be like, Oh yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. That's really good. Uh, And you can hear from like the inflections that I use that not only am I from New Zealand, but also that I'm decently (laughs) excited about it. But I'm not, I don't have to show that in any of my body language. I don't have to, like, be emphatic about it. Whereas online, because you can't show that if you just write, I'm really excited about that. It sounds like it's just kind of like, what the fuck are you saying? This is bullshit. Um, I don't know how much we're meant to swear on this, Serena. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm pretty sure we can put, like, explicit tags or clean tags. Or we can worry about that later. Yeah, you can, like, put a duck <laughs> quacking over me. Um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> But that is, that is really interesting, though, because it's kind of... So one thing is that it shows how limitations in the medium that you're trying to communicate in begets innovation and uh, invention. And the other thing that it's showing also is that it's kind of like the opposite, you know, sign language when you're expressing with your body and your facial expressions. It's kind of like the opposite of communication online, where... I don't know about you, but when I read like hyperboles or when I read like excitement, I have two voices. I have a normal deadpan voice and I have a slightly louder capital, like all caps voice. And those are the only two voices in my brain. So what happens often online is that you see all these 
inflated hyperboles and gratuitous use of metaphor. So, like, I came across um, a post the other day that was someone saying how, like, nowadays, instead of saying, oh, she's pretty, like, we'd say stuff like, um, I would willingly let her murder me. <laughs> and everyone's just like, lol, same. <laughs> or, or, like, or, like, if you touch something gross, you'd say, instead of saying, oh, yuck, that's disgusting, you'd say, like, my soul would depart my body. Yeah. My mind has touched the void. Or <laughs> 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 like um, when you when you really love something and when you like love a celebrity and stuff, instead of saying, Ah, oh, you know, I love X so and so you'd say like, I wanna punch him in the face. Like, this man is human garbage. You just be like completely gratuitous with your hyperboles. And that's how you express in a express yourself in a text only medium. To an extent as well, like that kind of hyperbole also makes you like better at using language right like there's that wonderful xkcd which we're definitely including in the show notes that talks Mm -hmm. about how essentially today people are using text-based communication all the time so they're getting very very good at writing even if it's not writing like how your mom wants you to write um Mm -hmm. and similarly like using that kind of incredible hyperbole makes you more adept at using language and like it in- increases like your vocabulary so much like i have learned new words from being on tumblr and not just new swears so you know that's <laughs> like what... the word same <laughs> oh shut up <laughs> um so that's that's incredibly good and like i said i definitely get what you mean with the hyperbole and then that starts bleeding back into our everyday life like whenever i'm having a bad phd day i'm like yes i just want to lie on the floor and pile damp earth on onto myself until mm. the earth swallows me whole and takes me back to where I came from. Um, yeah. And that, that's like a, that's like a internet thing, right? Like I think if, if we didn't have Tumblr or just the internet in general, um, we wouldn't say things like that. Oh, definitely not. Uh, yeah. I very like, much appreciate like that. I do say it, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a very clear effect that the internet has had on how we talk. And then we spread that to our non as internet, plugged in as we are friends Mm. and it just kind of like gets free like some gross disease so like oh okay here is a question for you okay are there exceptions to the general rule that it's young women who are doing the innovation in language um tell me about that oh man there are there so are (laughs) (laughs) so as serena flagged at the introduction like historically young women have been sort of the key innovators of language are the people who are changing the words that they use, the way they use words, the like grammatical structures that they put within them. If you listen to a group of young girls talk, they will be using words that you do not understand. And that is amazing. And they've always been shit on because that's what the world does to young women. Um, There is a degree of exception to this and it's amazing. So, Originally, when women started entering the workforce, uh, new words were created for the jobs that they had. So actor became actress, author became authoress. And not all of those are stuck around. If you called someone an authoress or a journalist today, they'd probably punch you in the face. Um, or like do something legal and polite. <laughs> um, I'd punch you in the face, really, is where this is going. <laughs> Some stuck around. So like actress. And those words were created to sort of it has a minimization to like feel to it, that addition of the um, suffix. Like the job's smaller. It's not 
real. The men don't have to worry about women becoming authors because they're only just authoresses. They're just they're sort of having fun. Let's ignore the fact that Jane Eyre is like a seminal text, but whatever. Um, and that's happening today with men taking traditionally, and I use the word with a lot of hesitancy, but sure, feminine words and making them more masculine. And so we see that in things like guyliner and manbag. And so while words like author and actor and journalist and like those sort of like those so-called masculine identities have become like accepting to everyone as we've achieved more equality, although not equal pay, whatever. Um, now that men are engaging in more feminine ideas, so like things like eyeliner and handbags, because eyeliner is great and handbags are so useful. Um mm they're making them more masculine. And this is something that men are doing. They're making the choice to say, like, we are not comfortable with taking on a feminine word to refer to something we're doing or something we have or something we are. What we're doing is we're going to make it, like, almost, like, obnoxiously masculine. Like, turning a handbag into a man bag is slightly ridiculous in the way it's just, like, I need to reaffirm my masculinity. It's The chronicles of fragile masculinity. Yeah, and I mean, like, we can talk for an entire three episodes about fragile masculinity, but it's this very interesting example of language innovation that is being taken up incredibly quickly uh, by men. And part of this is the fact that, like, men have a lot of power and, like, do a lot of writing and are listened to more than women still. Um, And part of it is the fact that, like, it's men entering fields where they weren't before and they are so uncomfortable with taking on a word that they have seen as being typically feminine, something typically other than themselves, that they're inventing new words for what they're doing. And that's great. Like, not great in a, like, societal gender <laughs> equality kind of way, but great in a kind of, like, linguistics is fascinating and I love it kind of way. Mm. That is that is definitely better because, tradi- well, I say traditionally, but in my lifetime... Because things like communication of the internet and text-based communication has presented itself with a lot of problems, like, you know, how do I express tone, how do I express this and that, sarcasm, etc. Traditionally, I've seen suggestions usually proposed by men or proposed by older users of text-based communication. They say we should have, like, a sarcasm font. We need a sarcasm symbol. Introducing, like, new things that we have to... People have to learn to to solve this problem. Whereas you see young women, we introduce solutions that are inherent in the medium. So instead of learning how to use a sarcasm font or symbol and learning what that means, we'll just write a text post in such a way with excessive exclamation marks or capitalization. And that when you read it, you'll understand inherently that it's sarcasm. So it's great to see that men are also starting to innovate inside the medium rather than outside of it in terms of language and linguistics. Yeah, and I think it does need to be remembered that while it's a really good general rule that young women are the innovators, like, we're Mm. not trying to say exclusively only young women innovate. There's definitely innovation that we have no idea, innovation in language, so like the word shitposting, the word night blogging, we have no idea (laughs) who originally used those words, and it could have been a young man, but it was likely... A young lady, and that's like that's where we're coming from with that. What are yeah. some of the um 
key differences, Serena, between the kinds of solutions proposed by older generations and younger generations to solve those sort of shortcomings that we see in text-based communication? I guess it's kind of like what I was getting at before with how the generally the older generations will propose stuff that feels more traditional. So it's usually outside the medium of just what we usually have as text-based communication, whether that be a new symbol or a new font or like maybe a tag that goes on a message that says, hey, you know, this sentence is sarcastic or this sentence is excited. Whereas younger generations will take that. I mean, even, even back in the day when we were primarily texting each other on our phones and not on the internet, things like... Um, abbreviation things like when you want to uh, emphasize something you might all caps it you might shout you might uh, lengthen out the word you might capitalize it to to make it a proper noun to make it its you know own entity to indicate its importance uh, or you might put tildes and asterisks um, asterisks near them to say that they're special just innovations like that that are already inherent in the medium that we've discovered just by using a lot rather than, you know, from a different perspective when you're looking back on the medium and you're like, oh, what if we use X, Y, Z, new thing? Yeah, what you've said is very true. Often you'll see, like, older generations really want to bring in something from outside to make the text-based communication better, whereas we're like, you put a colon and a bracket next to each other and it like, looks like a little smiley face. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, do you read, because you know how usually when you do a text smiley, you do colon, right parenthesis. Yeah. And some people do left parenthesis colon. Yeah. Do you read that as a sarcastic smiley? No, I read them as exactly the same. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I, I read the opposite one as the sarcastic smiley. I read it as an upside-down face. Oh. Well, yeah, and so I read that as sarcasm. I have quite a or few like, friends from, like, um, South America that yeah. will naturally do – and I don't know, like, why they do it, but everyone I know from South America does it this way um, – will do the left parenthesis bracket for their smileys. Mm. It's just like, oh, okay. That's how you're doing it. It's cool. We're good. Interesting. Yeah. And like the development of like actual emoji that you can use. And the recent development, I don't know if you saw, of Emotiki. Which Oh, what is that? Uh so they were developed, um and they were developed in uh con- conjugation? No. In concert with our Napuhi <laughs> elders. Uh and they're like little tiki faces. And a keyboard should be available, like, in June at some point, where you can, like, text people and use little ticky smileys and, like, little haka smileys. Um, and there'll be, like, moving emoji for poi moves. And I'm so excited. Like, I actually can't so cool. <laughs> explain how much I want to use this. Um, and that's a very interesting twist on the smiley, because, like, obviously the smiley is sort of that uh, patchwork history of is yellow the default or is it just, right, like, yeah. secretly white people? In the way that we see in The Simpsons, right? Where, like, yeah. yellow is totally a non-racial colour, but everyone who's not yellow is brown. Yeah. Um, just saying, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, like, uh, iPhone and Apple, I believe, changed to give you a range 
of mm. facial colors um, that you can use in your smileys and on your on the hands. They have little hand smileys. But there's been some really interesting stuff written by white people who are just like, I am so uncomfortable using the white people smileys. Like, really? straight up, it feels... Because, like, we don't need to reaffirm our race. That's and when true. we do, it kind of feels like we're neo-Nazis. <laughs> so, like, being like, yeah, I'm proud of being white. It's like, oh, God, I'm, I'm not proud of any of our history. Please take the smiley <laughs> away from me. Um, yeah. So often white people I, will default to yellow. Yeah, I guess I can see that because, uh, because it certainly does feel weird when a white person uses a darker-skinned emoji. It feels really weird. Like I'm not – I don't know how to place it. I don't should, know should I stop? why it feels weird. <laughs> should I stop then? I use, like, the second tone down. So but when they use, so like, a fully like, dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use, like, I the white-ish why. one, but, like, yeah. I, I don't want to use the white one. Because it feels weird. I mean – like, I, I mean, I have problems with self-perception to start off with, like, mm. and I like to think I'm a lot more tan than I actually am. But, <laughs> like, I don't... There's no necessity to increase my representation in emoji. I'm, like, overrepresented by my race and, like, everything. Mm. So mm. if I'm going to be using emoji, particularly somewhere like Twitter, and I'm using a medium that allows me to choose colours, which my Android doesn't, mm. dick, um... <laughs> then I'm going to do something that other people can identify with and they don't necessarily see as much. So I don't use the darkest one because, like, that's kind mm. of... Using race as being, like, a little bit performative to my mind. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really interesting discussions about performance of race that we could have, uh, particularly surrounding video games. Um, mm. But I use, like, a slightly darker one because that's underrepresented and I wish I was that tan. I just don't go outside. <laughs> I'm probably vitamin yeah, D deficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's personally where I'm coming from, but like, mm. man, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's one of those things where it's like, it's so new that, um, that usage of it is just starting. So we can't really have like a very well considered, uh, analysis of this kind of usage. So all I can really say is like, oh, I don't know, but it feels strange. Like that's, that's the only Thing I can say I don't have any um anything smart to back that up with so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the discussion will be like maybe in a year or so or even two yeah definitely so, yeah, like you know we've we've seen a few patterns emerge and what whatnot so speaking about identity do you think that uh the use of language in this particular way so predominantly text-based communication and you know the use of the internet for communication in general is undermining traditional ideas of identity what do you mean by traditional ideas of identity? Like, I identify as young or... Or, like, so your identity is defined by, like, the groups to which you belong. So, like, you're mm. young, you're female, you're Asian, you're mm. straight. Mm-hmm. Disappointing. Mm. Um, Sorry. More or less. <laughs> I'm outraged, Serena. <laughs> this is... You've stolen something beautiful from I'm, lesbians I'm so plain. I'm so plain. <laughs> um, you're well-educated. But no mm. one can tell that when you're posting online. No. Is that um, is that a good thing? That's really interesting because it's a good thing in that it means – I mean, because, you know, we try not to be sexist and we try not to be racist and we try not to be homophobic and et cetera, et cetera. But 
because we've been raised in an imperfect society, we have these unconscious biases. So even when we, as like pretty staunch feminists, see something written by a woman, there'll be an unconscious bias going on that that we're actively trying to fight. Um, and we will see those posts and stuff created by women in a different light than we see um, stuff created by men. And that's just something that I think we can actively fight, but it will be in the background all the time. So when when new forms of linguistics mask that identity, then it means that we all see it all as like coming from an amorphous person and we don't we can't let that subconscious bias kick in if we don't know for sure who is actually behind the post and that is good in some ways in that it might mean that ideas spread more ideas that are written by people of color minorities in any sense they might spread more because we don't have those biases coming in but it's also a bad thing in that it it means that we don't have as much exposure, you know, like because we still assume that the default is male and white and cis and straight. We don't get that exposure for minorities to say, hey, you know, there's some great ideas coming out of minority groups. And that just doesn't get exposed when everything's masked by a very similar linguistic face. So, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. So like, I think particularly throughout this um, episode, we've both been referring to, whether explicitly or just like fucking quoting them, um, Tumblr posts. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> often, unless you're already friends with someone on Tumblr, you will have like literally no idea about their identity. I kind of assume mm. that everyone's like American and queer on Tumblr, because that's like yeah. the bulk of the... Probably, probably queer, probably American, probably not white. Mm. Like, let's go... Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, not yeah. not everyone will have that particular degree of assumption when it comes to Tumblr, and uh, we're definitely going to be using a later episode to talk about pseudonyms and the ideas behind mm-hmm. that as well. Um, something I find interesting uh, and quite concerning, really, is the way that um, the American African American vernacular English can occasionally get co opted in text based communications, yes. and how that mm-hmm. is like it's basically face it's like it's a performance of race and like it's the kind of performative aspect of race that is why blackface is so bad and Mm. that makes me very uncomfortable (laughs) um it is not a good thing uh and the fact that it's crept into our um written text uh i find quite Mm. worrying what what do you think about this that's that's a really good point and that you've actually pinpointed why like a lot of the times when that kind of stuff happens, it's hard to pinpoint why I feel uncomfortable. I just know that there's something not quite right about it. So it's quite clear that that performative aspect of race, when used in text-based communication, is like not good and probably racist, by which I mean like definitely, definitely racist. Um, would you consider any other aspects of this kind of development of language as being potentially harmful in some spheres? Hmm. Apart from the whole um, performative aspect of race thing, I think it's a it's a good thing to keep in mind how powerful language is. So, I mean, this is quite a segue from Tumblr linguistics, but there's <laughs> been many studies done about uh, how 
the language that we use actually affects the way that we think. So a common well-known one is that, you know, in Mandarin, it's very easy to count. And in English, it's a bit harder because we have words like 11 and 12. Yeah. And in and French, in French like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Exactly. So there's been studies done in which, like, you get these people, uh, speakers of different languages, to do a lot of mental arithmetic in their head. And you find that language systems with with a numerical system that makes more sense, these people are lightning fast at doing numerical math in their head. Whereas a system in which, I don't know, like French, where it kind of doesn't make sense, it's like the empirical system of numbers, it's very hard for them to do mental arithmetic fast. And that that translates into other things like, well, I can only speak for Mandarin because I speak Mandarin. So in Mandarin, when you say your uncle or when you say your grandfather, it's coded in the actual word, which side of the, the family your uncle is from. Or if I say like my brother, it's coded in the word, whether he's my older brother or younger brother. When I say the word grandfather, it's coded in the actual word, whether it's my grandfather from my mother's side or my father's side. And you can compare this kind of difference to languages that don't code that in. And you can measure how they see families or you can measure how they remember people. And those are those are some interesting studies. So in terms of like other negative effects from a new linguistic system or new ways of using language, this is kind of the stuff that we can't see is like we're coding in a lot of meaning about our tone in this new linguistic system but what are we leaving out from co-opting this new way of talking to each other what are what are we missing what are we not thinking about in our heads anymore and what are we therefore thinking about less and how will that impact the way that our brains work and how will that impact the decisions we make just because we're using this new way of talking to each other that's I, I legitimately never thought about that before. Um, but now that you've mentioned it, it seems quite clear to me when you consider the difference between like normal kind of, and like using Tumblr as the cultural touchstone here, right? Uh, mm. The difference between normal posts on Tumblr and when people are actually talking about their feelings and mm. their lives, like the change in tone and the change in the way that we talk, like basically gives you whiplash, right? Like it's such a, such a hairpin turn. Um, And so like the fact that we have these memes, these ways of talking that can communicate things like enough, but don't necessarily lend ourselves to a degree of introspection, I think could be quite harmful. Uh, Wow. Yeah. My flatmate Sarah and I have been having a lot of chats about Tumblr because we both go on it religiously. Um, but we were talking about how, because you know how like I read a lot of text in a deadpan voice inside my head and I read it in that voice because I'm getting communication about tone through other ways, not not through actual you know tone of voice. So what happens uh, because of that I've realized is that when I actually speak out loud, when I speak to my work colleagues, when I'm using sarcasm in meat space, people can't tell the difference between my sarcasm voice and my normal voice. And that's because in my head, I'm adding all this punctuation. I'm adding all this capitalization. And I'm not doing that with my, with my actual 
voice. That is also a very New Zealand thing, and that we have a <laughs> totally. very sort of dry sense of sarcasm. I had notable cultural difficulties when getting to Australia because people just didn't get when I was being dryly like <laughs> funny about something, and they'd be like, "Sophia, do you really think that we? I just <laughs> I never knew this about you." And it's like, really, guys, really, uh, everyone, please calm the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other thing as well is that. Using more text-based communication and either making uh, tone and things like that implicit in the text or, like, clear in the tags Mm. um, is really good for people who might have social difficulties. So, like, I'm autistic and I know quite a few people on Tumblr who are autistic. And it's just, like, because there are these rules around, like, how you communicate tone, like, how you Mm. communicate... Um, anything like sarcasm within a text post, it's really easy for us to keep up in ways that it might not be if you're just talking to someone and they're trying to make it clear that they're being sarcastic and because, like, I've certainly experienced moving to another country, even though, like, Australia is basically the same as New Zealand, um, (laughs) there are different cultural ways that we communicate different ideas within our vocal tone. And I just that can be hard to keep up with sometimes. Um, And so definitely like text-based communication and developing rules around a linguistic style is really valuable to people like that, to people like us. That's so interesting how you mentioned talking in the tags because that's one of those things that you just don't get unless like you are on Tumblr or on Instagram or like an internet. It's it's like a purely internet thing (laughs) is that if you're talking in your tags, you're talking quietly, you're talking like... You're not talking in a in a normal out loud voice. Uh, I might explain very briefly um, how this works. Yeah. So on Tumblr, you can have posts of a variety of things. So you can have text posts, video posts, picture posts. Uh, what else? I have Tumblr open right now, so I'm just going to check oh, that. Audio, video. Um, quotes, links, chats. Yeah, all of that shit. Um, when you post something, you have the option to tag it. And the original idea behind tagging is that you can like uh, categorize it with where it should be. So it's like, oh, this is hashtag cats this is hashtag science how tumblr has used it is a space where they can write a commentary on whatever they've just posted so often like particularly if they've got spoilers for a tv show we're all very polite we'll be like oh yeah spoilers for steven universe and then we'll like start making a commentary on the post Mm. um and it's just kind of like this quiet aside where you're like oh yes let me talk about this to you to you, my followers, because no one else will see this. Because tags mm. disappear once they're reblocked. Um, and it's... <laughs> I mean, I just explained that very well, but it is quite hard to explain, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. And I think in some ways it's a reflection of how how young women are socialised to speak. Because you know how we're socialised to basically not speak up and to only speak while spoken to. But we have all these great ideas. So to balance that, like, we can put our thoughts, our true thoughts, uh, or our opinions and tags, and we don't have to worry that they're going to be reblogged all over the world. And that's, I think that's part of our socialization as young women, as well as using that um, and innovating inside this medium. And it's also just, like, yeah, recognizing what Tumblr is and the kind of social capital you um have on tumblr right like Mm. no one wants to reblog like your shitty ass comment right like (laughs) you thought you were being funny you were not being funny put it in the tags um and like if you want to like reblog something to drag it or be a bit rude about it like you you put you you, you put 
put in the tags. Like, don't don't say it to the person itself. That's rude. And so, like, the sort of social capital that you get, to an extent, is people, like, following and reblogging what you post. And everyone is going to go to the original post and reblog that if you add, like, your opinions and your comments to the end of every single post. Because legit, just, like, we... Like, we appreciate seeing it, but we don't want to, like, necessarily endorse it or, like, mm. also not get reblogged. So that's why you put it in the tags, because then all your followers can read it and be like, oh, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, mm. And if someone thinks it's valuable enough, then they can put it onto the post as a comment. But, like, to put it in the tags is, like, recognizing how Tumblr works to an extent. Mm. How has the development of this language on the internet altered how you speak with your mouth words <laughs> i i do appreciate um that we use different words to refer to irl and that like i just refer to mouth words and mm. you talk about meat space um <laughs> i think i have new words so i mentioned earlier night blocking and shit posting they're mm. new words it's altered also, like, the we talked before about the hyperbolic way that we can discuss things. And, like, those are things I will say with my wealth words. I will be mm. hyperbolic. I will literally say the word same whenever, like, I knock a chair yeah. over or something. Like, Lol, me. <laughs> and, like, that's something that we've seen for a really long time. Like, people using words like lol and lameo and, God, that period when I was 15 and everyone was saying yeah. lameonaise. And you're like, oh. Rufflecopter. God, shut up. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> it was a dark time in the internet, you guys. It was a dark time. <laughs> I mean, I think it was also dark because we were teenagers and, like, yeah. awkward. Um, but, yeah, like, broadly it's increased my use of, like, florid, hyperbolic language mm. as well as just sort of, like, yeah, making – like, adding new words into my vernacular here and there. That's mostly mm. it. What about you? So there's a thing that people do a lot in – in text posts, when you suddenly uppercase something, like all caps, caps like something, but you leave the first letter lowercase to indicate like a sudden change of emotion. Yeah. So I find myself talking like that sometimes in real life. Like I'll be deadpan talking about something and then suddenly <laughs> I'll talk like this. <laughs> and it's, and what I'm trying to do, the weird thing is that I'm not trying to express what I'm thinking about in vocal tone i'm trying to express in my head instead of the actual concept that i'm trying to express i've got it written in my brain like i can see the text post and i'm trying to read aloud the text post that i've composed in my brain (laughs) and if you're not um familiar with like internet language this weirds a lot of people out (laughs) i mean it's strange but that that's just how my brain works now. It's I mean it's changed completely. That just sounds like you should almost definitely read Homestuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's so long though. Just get just start it. Um Act Six is like mm-hmm. a struggle bus in a lot of ways. Like horrible mm-hmm. stuff just keeps happening. But no, like Homestuck has a lot of different characters who all communicate predominantly via text based um communication, particularly for the first five acts. Uh mm-hmm. and they all have their own typing quirks. Yeah. And seeing that is just like it's very nice. It's like it's legitimizing text-based communication. Firstly, as a way like that people predominantly communicate these days. That's cool. Um, but it's also showing that like you can still have individuality within this medium, which seems so yeah. plain when you're just like, oh, my font is the same as everyone else. But like, really, yeah. people have their own 
quirks and the ways they type and the things they do. And, like, it can be a little bit ham-fisted within Homestuck. Uh, but, yeah, and, it, like, it's it switches at one stage between, like, text-based logs and chat-based logs. Um, and the typing quirks don't change. Which That's is so interesting. Yeah, which is essentially to say, like, the way that these characters are speaking are the way that these characters speak. And it doesn't make a difference whether they're typing or whether they're, like, verbalising things. It's just how they are. That's so interesting because, like, like when, I, when I'm typing a post or I'm typing a tweet and I make a typo, instead of deleting it immediately and fixing it, I'm like, okay, how does this contribute to the humour? <laughs> the authenticity, the relatability. Yeah. And it, like, it enhances the humour in the way that, in the way that you can't really get with verbal speech. Oh, definitely. Uh, and keyboard smashes. Yes. When when you would reply to something with just like key smashes and hit post with mm-hmm. nothing else, and everyone understands what you mean. Yeah, it means that That's you're flailing amazing. at the keyboard, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So thank you for listening to Things of Interest, a show about life and tech through a feminist lens. If you want to read more about the stuff we've discussed today, there are going to be links to articles and a list of media in the show notes. You can find our website at thingsofinterest.co and on Twitter at Casting Interest. Now, if you've got any ideas for future episodes, stuff you want us to talk about, uh, anything you want to add to these discussions, flick us a message or a voice memo. And as always, leave us a review and subscribe if you want more. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.